I'll be reading from Galatians 2, 19 through 21, and Romans 6, 3 through 11 from the New American Standard. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Galatians. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Trying to live up to expectations looks tremendously different than, looking, than living into acceptance. We are in Galatians chapter 2, and little recap if you haven't been here in a few weeks. Paul is confronting his apostle, a co-worker in Christ, Peter. Peter has um, drawn back from his fellowship with Gentile brothers because Jewish brothers came from Jerusalem, and he was worried about what they would think of him when they saw him eating with Gentiles. And so he drew back. And at the core of this text is what is a Christian? If I were walking down a hall and I had scrubs and uh, the little booty things on over my shoes and the, the thing that you, you know, the hairnet thing that you wear and I had a beeper, you might think that I'm a surgeon. The truth is, I'm not a surgeon, right? And that would quickly be apparent when uh, somebody said, paging Dr. Drake to the emergency room, no, I probably shouldn't probably go there, no. Because at the core of a surgeon is somebody who can actually wield a scalpel, cut, make a cut that eventually ends up healing somebody. I can't do that. But I can pretend. And in this place, we can do much the same thing. We can come in here and we can gather around the table. We can open uh, a Bible, read scripture. We can sing songs. We can shake each other's hands. We can be kind to one another. We can put on an appearance that we really are who we say we are. But what's at the core? Because anybody can do that, really. What's at the core of what it means to be a Christian? And at the core is Jesus and his work, not our own. We've said it this way. 
that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Right. And in this text, we have a summary of all the things that Paul said to Peter when he took him aside and he said, listen, you've got to fix this because you've forgotten the gospel. You need to to start walking again in line with the gospel that you know and that I know you know, you, you just forgot it. And you need to get back to walking the line of the gospel. And so in this text, we learn some terminology and we've been taking a little terminology each week. Uh, we talked about righteousness. We've talked about what it means to be justified. We've talked about this phrase, what it means to die to the law. And the, the field of theology, the field of Christianity is no different than any other field. In about any field that you encounter, there are terms that are compressed truths that if you want to be an expert in that field or know something about that field, it helps for you to know those terms. And so we've been playing a game each week. It's called Guess the Field. And uh, we're going to do that this week. I have two Guess the Fields this week. And uh, we're going to roll through a line at a time. If these terms kind of ring a bell, just raise your hand. Back to one, F-O-H, Wrangler. Anyone? Anyone? No, no hands? Checking the gate? Call sheet. How about gaffer, best boy, grips? Now, I, I got to stop here. I need you to fess up. How many of you have known, see, this is like the fourth week we've done this. How many of you have known that the answer always pops up on the back wall and you've been looking at the back wall? Yes. You people know you're in church. My good friend Brian pointed that out to me. He said, you know, my kids, they just look at the back wall. They know what you're doing. I'm ahead of you today because it's not on the back wall, is it? No. Mm-mm. All right. Anybody know? Gaffer, best boy grips. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Movie, theater, stage. Yeah. Roll through, roll through the, be- the next one's extra. Cutaway, cue, off book, take five, wrap. Break a leg is a, ten, uh, a familiar saying. It means do well. It doesn't mean actually fall off the stage and, you know, break a leg. Okay? So, here we go. One, number two, guess the field. Microdots rolled up. No, not quite. You two, babysitter, cobbler. No hands yet? Okay, that's fine. This one might help. Sleeper, target, the farm. You might hear these terms in some movies. Does that help? No? Next. Compromised, mole, safe house. That, now, now we're, what is it? Yes, espionage. Very good. Informant, agent, cover, and we're talking about espionage. So, uh, U-2 is a super secret spy plane that the United States came up with in the Cold War that flew 55,000 feet above uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Russia uh, so that they could spy. And it's, in still, it's still in use today. I have no idea what they use it for, but um, now you know when I say U-2, it's a, it's a spy plane, right? A cobbler is somebody who makes fake IDs and fake passports. Um, and the farm, anybody recognize the farm? The farm is the CIA training camp. Um, when a CIA agent is being trained, they go to the farm, okay? So I don't have to roll through all that explanation now. All I have to say is, hey, they're going to the farm, and you immediately know. 
And that's no different when it comes to the Bible. We come to these phrases like righteousness and justified and died to the law. What does that mean? Well, it's compressed truth and there's a whole package of things that you need to understand that are contained in that word or in that phrase. And so today, we're going to tackle this phrase that Paul uses, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the phrase, crucified with Christ. And he goes on, he says, I don't live, but he lives in me. And what in the world does that mean? I want to help today with a story, and it's a story about two friends. They are both seniors in high school. It's, their beginning, it's the beginning of their senior year, and both of them want to attend the same college. And so both of them apply to this dream college that they both want to get into, and in December, the first friend, Wayne, gets a letter from the college. And it says, congratulations, Wayne, you're in. We've accepted you. Come next fall, you're going to be a student at this college that you've always dreamed about being a student at, okay? But his friend Dave did not get a letter like that. His letter was quite different. It wasn't a rejection. It was just, you know what? We really haven't figured out all the spots yet. And we're going to let you know, but we won't be able to let you know until the end of your senior year. Okay? So Wayne and Dave are best friends. One has been accepted. One is in limbo. He's not really sure where he is. And the next four months look strikingly similar for both of them and yet incredibly different. Both of them take classes that they should take. Wayne takes classes because, well, he can, and he's always wanted to, and so he takes some advanced classes. And Wayne, because he's accepted, it really doesn't matter what extracurricular activities he gets involved in, and so he starts a band. He's always wanted to do that, and he starts rock climbing. And in addition to rock climbing, he, he starts a program for school children teaching them how to climb rock walls like him, and it's a program that will continue a decade after he starts it. He's not doing these things because he has to, just because he knows where he stands. Dave, on the other hand, has to. I have to take all the right classes. I have to get good grades. I have to do the things that will look good on my transcript. And so he does a lot of the same extracurricular activity kind of things, but he does it under some pressure. He does it because he has to try to prove himself. He does it because he has to get accepted if he wants to get into the college of his choice. One of these guys was carrying around a burden of expectation and one was not. And that story is what I want you to use as we explore this phrase, crucified with Christ. And let's first talk about what it is not, what it is not. It is very normal for a person who gives their life to Jesus to come out of the baptistry and then to be told or to just inherently think, okay, now I have to be good. Now I have to strive to live like Jesus because I need Jesus' forgiveness 
And the way I'm going to get Jesus' forgiveness is to live the best life that I can. And so I need His power to be like Him. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to be in my Bible. I'm going to attend everything I can attend because I need to be close to Him so that God will smile at me. And some will look at this crucified business when they come to Galatians chapter 2 and conclude this, that dying to myself means that I have to work harder so that I can please God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let's just say that's living like Dave. That's living like somebody who has not been accepted and is needing to prove himself. And so we could say this, crucified with Christ is not try harder. Try harder. It is not try harder. Because that's the same as the Apostle Paul. You remember what his life was like before he met Jesus. He was doing the right things to please God, living under the law to save himself. And Jesus isn't really a part of that. And we do the same thing. Oh, we try to be good, look good, so that God is pleased. And the the issue is that we can do that without Jesus being a part of that process. But it looks okay because we kind of have church clothes on. But there's no way to win that game. Salvation, Paul says in this text, Salvation cannot be gained under the law. No one will be justified by what they do. So, crucified with Christ, if Dave shows us what it is not, then Wayne shows us what it is. What we're told here in Galatians chapter 2 is that we don't have to live under the weight of that law. Crucified with Christ is foundational to this idea that Paul is trying to get across and I need to, for just a second, talk about verb forms. And I know, I know, I know you. I know that when you came to church today, you said to yourself, I hope that Dusty talks about verb forms. There's nothing else that I would rather him talk about. Well, wish granted. The verb form, I have been crucified with Christ. If we were to ask an expert, and I think there's at least one or two in here. It's a perfect passive verbal form. And what that means is that it implies that something happened in the past with abiding results that was accomplished by an outside agent. I have been, it's in the past, crucified. Something happened that's changed the game and something That something that happened was because an outside force came in and changed it. It wasn't something that was done on my own. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He does not say, I continue to be crucified with Christ. But when we come to this passage, that's a lot of times the way we we take it. Every day, I have to crucify myself again. I have to try harder. I have to strive so that I can earn my acceptance. No, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It happened in the past. It was done to me. It's not something I did myself, and that has changed the game. It has opened up a new possible way of living from this day forward. And if you'll follow me just a little bit, Paul's argument goes this way. If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and we do, right? Nod your head. Yes, okay. Then we also believe that Jesus is the crucified Messiah because Jesus was put on the cross. Nod your head, yes. Yes. 
And Paul speaks here in this text of being in Christ. From verses 15 to 21, he uses this phrase, in Christ, five times. He also says something similar. He says, with Christ, and that Christ is in me. And what he is doing here is giving us a clear definition of believers. Believers are people who are in Jesus. We are in this Jesus, but we're also in this crucified Jesus because Jesus was crucified. What does that mean, and how does the crucifixion of Jesus fit in this picture? And that's where I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Remember that Romans is the expanded version of Galatians. Galatians is kind of Paul's rough draft, and Romans is an expansion. So literally, you can go through the book of Galatians and take a phrase or a thought, and you can find a whole paragraph or two on it in Romans. And so, crucified with Christ pops up in Romans chapter 6, and in Romans chapter 6, Paul explains it. He says, when we're baptized, we are in Christ. When we're baptized, we are buried with Him. When we're baptized, we are buried with Him, and then we are raised with Him. And because of our baptism, we are united with Him in His death and also in His resurrection. Paul says in Romans 6, our old self was crucified with Him. Does that ring a bell? Galatians chapter 2, Paul uses exactly that same phrase. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's argument in Romans 6 is that someone who has died has been freed from sin And Christ met all the requirements of the law on their behalf and then paid the penalty required of the law on their behalf. He died for us. And when we enter the baptistry and say, I want to follow this Jesus, then we are united with Him in His death but also in His life. And that matters immensely. And the key word that I need you to understand in this process, in this little Bible study that we've been, we've been having here for a couple minutes, is identity. Identity. What is crucified with Christ? It is that we get a new identity. That's it. To be crucified with Christ When we're baptized into Christ, we're united with Him, and it means that all of the previous identities that might have defined us are irrelevant, and they are to be put on the back burner, if not forgotten altogether. And so no longer are we defined as lawbreakers, no longer are we hemmed in by requirements that would separate Jew from Gentile, and this is what Paul is telling Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Listen, Peter... Your main identity is no longer Jewish. Their main identity is no longer a Gentile. That's why you were okay eating with one another, and you've just forgotten that. You've forgotten that. No longer are we defined by who we are, who we used to be, where we came from, who raised us, what we do, what we have done. We could say it this way, just like Wayne in the story, we are free from expectation because we have a new identity. That's how Wayne functioned. Dave functioned under the weight 
of trying to find an identity. He had to put it all together to be accepted. He had to earn his way, prove himself, try harder. That's not what crucified with Christ is all about. But Wayne, on the other hand, had settled his identity. He absolutely knew where he stood. He was accepted. It happened in the past with abiding results, and it was accompanied, it was done by an outside agent. It was accomplished by an outside agent, and it freed him to live life brilliantly out from under the weight of any expectations, and that is what it means to be crucified with Christ. What Paul is telling us in Galatians 2 is this. By putting our identity in Christ... We can live like Wayne, free from expectations that come from trying to be right in God's eyes because Jesus has made us right in God's eyes already. There's a well-known story uh, told of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, For those of you over here, Margaret Thatcher is an old, famous politician, okay? She was actually the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Raise your hand if you know where the United Kingdom is. Awesome. Wonderful. Good. Okay. (laughs) Margaret Thatcher was going to an old people's home and she was making the rounds like politicians do. And so she was going from room to room and meeting senior citizens that had lived there a long time. And one lady that she, she went into her room and this lady showed really no sign of realizing that she was shaking hands with a famous politician. And so Mrs. Thatcher reached out her hand again, and she said very politely, do you know who I am? And the old lady responded, oh, no, dear, but if I were you, I would ask the nurse, because she usually knows. <laughs> that is a very, that's a very strange idea, to relearn who you are, to relearn something that has been taken away from you, and now you have to relearn who you are. But that's, oh man, are, are most of us there? People who suffer loss are in this boat. If you lose a family member, if you lose a spouse, if you lose your home, if you lose your job, all of that loss at the end of the day It's so easy to put our identity in those things, right? And when they are taken away from us now, oh my goodness, I have to relearn who I am. But it's precisely this kind of exercise that Paul is calling us to. You need to remember, you need to relearn who you are. Every day, you need to go through that relearning process. And so we we could ask ourselves this, who am I? What defines me? What is my identity based on? What's, what picture am I trying to put out in front of everybody else so that I'm accepted? What a big deal this is in our culture right now. There are people all around you. There are people in this room. Every one of us struggles with identity. How do people see me? And we have people in our culture who choose to define themselves by their sexuality. We have people in our culture that choose to define themselves by their gender or by their culture or by their politics or by their vocation or even the people in their lives. And let's be honest, we we sometimes 
we fall into this trap of trying to identify ourselves by the persona that we put forward online, right? I want people to see me in a certain light on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I want them to like me, and so I put my best side forward. Sports Illustrated uh, had named Ronda Rousey the world's most dominant athlete, and she had had quite a run to that point. She was the first U.S. woman to ever win an Olympic medal in judo. She was the youngest woman ever to qualify for the Olympics. She did it when she was 14. She was consistently one of the top three ranked judo champions in the world. Then she transitioned into mixed martial arts, and she quickly dominated that scene. She was 12-0 as an MMA fighter, and only one fighter that she had faced had even survived the first round. Most of them that she had faced were defeated in less than a minute. She was that on, much on top of her game. And then in November of 2015, she stepped into the ring and she lost. And it wasn't just a slight loss. Like, she lost, lost. It was bad. And in an interview shortly after that loss, she said, I went back to my hotel room. Maybe some of you recall this. And I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. I'm not worthy of living anymore. I'm nothing because I got beat. I'm not what I do anymore. And because I'm not that, nobody's going to care about me. Nobody's going to love me. And so I should probably just end it. And in that moment, she was unable to separate her identity from the most dominant athlete in the world. Without that, if she lost that, then she was nothing. If she lost that, she was unlovable, and she had lost that. Paul was in that same boat. Paul is trying to get his identity from what he can do for God. He's saying, God, I will be righteous for you. I will be zealous for you. I will be religious for you. I will do everything right for you. That is who I am. And by the way, this Jesus thing is popping up, and I'm going to go stamp that out for you because I want to be righteous and zealous and religious for you. And so he's on his way to do the right thing for God, and then a light strikes him blind. And Jesus talks to him in the light. And for three days, he wanders around in the dark, and along with losing his sight in those three days, he lost his identity. He lost who he was. He thought he was doing all the right things. He thought he was putting the right picture in front of people and in front of God, but God said, nope, that's not it. And so what now? What happens when life takes away your identity? And be assured if your identity is not found in the right place, it will be. You're not always going to be the mom. You're not always going to be the dad. You're not always going to be the prize employee. You're not always going to be whatever that thing is that you're trying to be. Life has a way of taking that thing away. And Paul's word here is, life took it away from me. I lost my identity. But the life giver did an incredible thing. 
He gave me the only real, lasting identity that I could ever have in return. And people who make Jesus the Lord of their life, people who follow after Him, are people who have been given a new identity, an identity that's defined by the Messiah, Jesus, who was crucified. And Romans 6 says that the way I identify with Jesus is in baptism. It's as easy easy as it gets. The gift is accepted in baptism. We're baptized into Jesus. We're buried with Him. We are raised to life too. I'm not saved by baptism. I'm saved by grace through faith. But Paul says it's at the time, it's the occasion of baptism where I fully identify with this crucified Jesus. And the minute I do that, then I'm in Christ and I have a new identity. All of that comes down to this. It's in your notes. When my identity is found in Jesus, then I am treated as if I was the one who died like Christ died, and I am treated as if I was the one who lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. Here's the thing. In Jesus, you get what you're looking for. In every other identity that you've tried to create for yourself, you were looking for something. Maybe you put your best foot forward and you wanted to be the super mom in everybody else's eyes and in your kids' eyes. Or you wanted to be the fun mom, right? Or maybe you wanted to be the boss that everybody respected. You wanted to be the boss that got things done and accomplished things. You wanted to be the athlete that was fit. That's the way you wanted people to see you. You wanted to be the guy with the great hair. You wanted to be the financial genius. When people looked at you, they would think, oh, man. I wish I could manage my resources like that. Whatever it is, why are are we putting those identities forward? Here it is. Ronda Rousey was right. What we're after is for somebody else to turn and look at us and see that identity and say, that's great. I love that. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's worth loving. That's why we create the identities that we create. And don't you see that the very thing you're after, God gives you in Jesus. I identify with Him. And then when God looks at me, He sees Jesus. He sees the great and the wonderful beauty worth loving because He sees Jesus. And He looks on me just like He looks on His Son. Some of you need to hear that. That's what you need to walk out of this room with. I have been crucified with Christ is not try harder. I have been crucified with Christ is I've identified with Christ and when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Everything true of Jesus is true of me. I have a new identity and it's one that will never be taken away. Crucified with Christ is not living like Dave, trying to measure up, trying to strive to be the best version of me so that God will accept me. Crucified with Christ is living like Wayne. I'm accepted already because I'm in Jesus. And that frees me from all the burdens that come my way. 
And consequently, I become the best version of myself. So here's the question for you today. Are you living up to expectations like Dave? Oh, so many, uh, we, we just all get, we all get sucked back into that trap. I don't know that there's anybody here that can say, nope, I'm not trying to meet anybody's expectation. No, we all are. The second question is the more important one. Are we living into our acceptance? And when we can answer that question, we will unveil what we're looking to for our identity. St. Augustine is a church father, lived in the first few centuries after Christ. And I'll just call him what he was, uh, he, what he calls himself. He, was a sexual, he had a sexual addiction before he, he found Jesus. And that's the way he lived his life. But then he found Jesus. He had a Damascus Road kind of experience, and obviously his life changed after that. And after his life had changed, a little while after that, an old girlfriend passed him on the street. And she said, Augustine, how are you? And he was very cordial. He was very nice. He said, fine, thank you very much. But he quickly went across the street and turned the other way and and went in a different direction. And she thought to herself, well, that's confusing. I mean, this is not the slobbering man that I used to hang out with. What's, maybe he didn't recognize me. And so she went and tracked him down, tapped him on the shoulder. Augustine, it is I. And he looked her in the face and he said, yes, I know, but it is not I. I'm different. And what he was saying is this, lady, I I care for your friendship. Thank you for your friendship. You mean a lot to me, but you are no longer my righteousness. My identity has been changed. I don't need your arms anymore. I'm not addicted to you anymore because you're not what I'm living for anymore. And how is that kind of sexual control possible? Is it because he was slapping himself on the wrist every time saying, no, 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 nope. It's because he remembered where his true righteousness was. He remembered that he was crucified with Christ. And in the words of Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Philip Yancey says it this way, the solution to sin is not to impose an ever stricter code of behavior, but it is to know God. Do you know God today? Have you been crucified with Christ? Wouldn't you love to give up those facades, those identities that are just, oh, they're they're soul-crushing at the end of the day? Jesus is giving you a new one, and it's a new one that can never be taken away, and it will mean everything to you. Father, we thank you that you have given us, through Jesus, this kind of a new identity that we can be seen because of what Jesus has done, because we're united with Him. It's like we died like He died. And when you, when you look at us, you see Him and what He has done. And we thank You for that. God, it was never intended that our identity be found in 
things like sexuality and culture and gender and vocation, and although those are important issues, if they define who we are, if they're the primary definition of who we are, then we are asking them to do something they were never designed to do. Would you help us to find ourselves in Jesus, to be crucified with him, and in that death to find more life? than ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Trying to live up to expectations looks tremendously different than living into acceptance. We are in uh, Galatians chapter 2, and to recap some of the weeks, if you haven't been around, Paul is confronting another apostle, the apostle Peter, because Peter has withdrawn himself from fellowship with his Gentile brothers. He was eating with them quite normally and fine, and they were all getting along. And then some Christians from Jerusalem came, some Drew- Jewish Christians, and Paul, Peter was worried about what he might look like if they saw him eating with Gentile dogs, right? And so he withdrew himself from fellowship. And Paul, in this passage, pops up in front of Peter and says, you're not walking the gospel. Get back in step with the gospel. Walk the line of the gospel. And the issue is what is at the core of a Christian? If you were to see a doctor, a person in, (laughs) I shouldn't have said doctor, if you were to see a person in green or blue scrubs, right, walking down the hall and they have the hairnet and they have the beeper, you would assume this is a doctor or a nurse or whatever, you know, yeah, there's lots in in that profession. Okay. Uh, But is that at the core of what a doctor is? No, I can, I can dress up like, you know, that scrubs and uh, at the core of what a doctor is, is somebody or a surgeon is somebody who cuts somebody open and removes something to make them better, to save their life, um, to treat them. And just like that, Christians can come into a place like this and we can love each other and we can be kind to one another. We can fellowship with one another a little bit. We can sing, we can pray, we can gather around the table, but anybody can do that. What does it take to be a Christian? What's at the core of being a Christian? And what we've explored is that it's Jesus and his work and not our own. And in this text, that we've been focusing on, we learned some terminology, and it's no different than any field, and so um, there are compressed truths in just about every field that you will enter, that if you know that nugget, that term, then there's a whole um, explanation that doesn't have to be given, okay? Uh, And so we have been playing a game each week called Guess the Field, and I have a couple more today. Um, I want to go one line at a time. Here's guess the field today. First, first few words, back to one, F-O-H, Wrangler. Any, anybody, anybody? Mm, I haven't heard it yet. That's all right. Go ahead. Go one more, checking the gate. Call sheet. Gaffer, best boy. Grips. If you, if, you, if you have an idea, just raise your hand. You don't have to shout it out. By the way, how many of you turned around to look at the back wall? Will anybody fess up to that? Some of you have noticed from week one that the answer pops up automatically on the back wall. And I got to tell you, you're in church, people. Come on. So I redid the slides this week, okay? So you don't know. If you, if you were cheating and trying to look back there, extra, cutaway, cue, off book, 
Yeah, there we go. It's theater or uh, here's take five, rap, break a leg is a, is a thing. Acting theater or stage. All right, here's another one. Another one. You can't, you can't, the answer's not back there. Don't look. All right, here we go. Microdots rolled up. This might be a little difficult. This might be a little difficult. Next line. You two, babysitter, cobbler. Nope, I don't see any hands. Sleeper, target, the farm. This might help some. Any, any hands? Nope, okay. Compromised, mole, safe house. Anybody yet? Yeah, I, I heard it. Uh, spies or espionage, informant, agent, cover, and the, the field is espionage. Uh, U-2 is a secret spy plane that the United States developed to fly 55,000 feet over Russia during the Cold War. It is still in use today. I have no idea what it does. Microdots are literally a millimeter across, and yet they can contain a page, pages of information uh, if they're viewed in, with the right equipment, okay? And uh, let's see, a cobbler is somebody who makes fake passports and fake IDs and that kind of stuff for people who are at the farm, which is, anybody? Anybody know what the farm is now? It's the it's CIA camp uh, a training ground is, is the farm. You'll hear that in movies referred to, okay? And so, we know what those terms are now, and so if I just said the farm, you would know what I was talking about. If I just said microdots, you would know what I was talking about. And so we come across these kind of phrases in Galatians chapter 2, and we've spent time on the, the, the term righteousness. We've spent time on the term justified. We've spent time on the phrase died to the law. And today, we're going to spend time on this little phrase that Paul uses, crucified with Christ crucified with Christ. What in the world does that mean when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is not me that lives, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? The college admissions process is a pretty rigorous one, and I want to give you a hypothetical example of a guy of two best friends, Wayne and Dave. And Wayne and Dave are in their senior year, and they are both applying to the college of their dreams, which happens to be the same college. And so they both apply in the spring of their senior year, and by December, Wayne, one of the best friends, gets word from the college that he's always wanted to go to, you're in, you're accepted. His friend Dave doesn't get that kind of letter. Instead, he gets a letter that says, We haven't really made up our mind yet. We're not really sure what we can tell you right now, but we will give you word at the end of your senior year. Okay? So Wayne's in, and Dave, he's he's not sure. The next four months look very similar for each of them, and yet, at the same time, very, very different. They both took basically the same classes. Uh, They both basically have the same homework load. They spend the same amount of time with a lot of the same kind of people socially, but there are some really key differences in each of them. Wayne is no longer under the eye of the all-important transcript. His grades, although, you know, he wants to get good grades, they really don't matter because he's in. Dave is in a different set of circumstances. 
He is taking classes because he has to. He's getting involved in a bunch of extracurricular stuff because he thinks it'll look good on his transcript, because he wants to be accepted. Wayne starts a bunch of extracurricular activities, but it's just because it's always what he wanted to do. He starts a band, and he starts rock climbing, and he even uh, begins a program teaching underprivileged kids in the community how to climb that rock wall. It's a program that a decade later will still be in existence. What's the difference between the two of them? At the end of the semester, as you can imagine, Dave is exhausted. He's trying hard. He's try- he has to earn something. He's doing stuff because it's about his chances to get into the college that he wants to get into. Wayne is free from all of those kind of expectations. Wayne is full of energy. Both of them took very similar paths. They're very, doing very similar things. But one of, this, one of these guys was carrying a burden of expectation. And the other was not. And I want that story, Wayne and Dave, to help us with what this phrase, I have been crucified with Christ, means. First, let's talk about what it is not. And there's not a lot to say here other than a normal path for a person who decides for Christ after they're baptized. They say, I want to live for Jesus. I want uh, Jesus' forgiveness, and I want a right relationship with God. And so I am going to try to be like him. And when they come to a passage like this where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, they will take this crucified business and they will conclude this, that dying to myself means that I have to work harder in order to please God more. I have to do more of the right things and I have to do less of the wrong things. And so that's living like Dave. That's taking all of the right classes so they look good on my transcript. And what crucified with Christ is not, is this, it's not try harder. It's not try harder. That's the same boat that Paul was in before he met Jesus. He was trying really hard to be the right kind of person in God's eyes. He was living under the law, and he says even in this passage that no one can justify themselves by living that way. It's a no, there's no way to win that game. And so crucified with Christ is not just about trying hard. Here's what it is, what it is. Instead, what we're told here in Galatians chapter 2 is that you don't have to live under the weight of the law when you know Jesus. Crucified with Christ is foundational to this idea of we cannot justify ourselves. And I need for just a second to talk about verb forms. I know that that's exactly what you were expecting and hoping, I would say, when you walked in here today. I hope Dusty talks about verb forms because I'm an English major and I love that stuff. There's like one of you in, in here that's in that boat, okay? But here's the, here's the verb form. I have been crucified. And if we ask the es- experts in the room, the one, we would, we would find out that that's a perfect passive verbal form. And what it implies is that something happened in the past. I have been. It's happened in the past. 
but it's created results that will last forever. There's been a change that has taken place. I have been, and it's because of an outside agent working from the outside, (laughs) right? I have been crucified with Christ. What took place was accomplished by an outside agent, and it has made all the difference, and now my life is different. That's what Paul says. I have been crucified. He does not say, I continue to be crucified. But a lot of times, that's how we read the text. We come to this text and we say, I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, that means I need to try harder. And it's as if we need to be crucified over and over and over again. That's not what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified. And it, inter- it, it implies that it happened in the past. It was done to him. And it's not something that he did himself. And it has changed the game. And it has opened up a new possibility of living from this day forward. And the Romans text gives us a great idea of what Paul is talking about here. Paul uses, in these little verses in Galatians, he uses the, the phrase, in Christ, about five times. And then a couple other times, he talks about being with Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, he expands on that. He says that we are We have died with Christ. He says that we have have been raised with Christ. We will be united with him in his resurrection like we were buried with him in his death. We were crucified with him. Our old self is done away with. And now, because we have given our lives to him in baptism, we are in him We are found in him. We are united with him in his death and in his life. And if if there's one word that we could put to all of that, it's this, identity. Identity. What is crucified with Christ? Crucified with Christ means that I have a new identity. I am no longer the person that I was. When I'm baptized into Jesus, I'm united with him. It means that my previous identity is irrelevant. It's to be forgotten. I'm no longer seen as a lawbreaker. I'm no longer hemmed in by requirements that set Jew against Gentile. This is what Paul was talking about when he he pops up in front of Peter. He says, your primary identity, Peter, is no longer Jewish. Their primary identity is no longer Gentile. That's why you had fellowship with one another. But you forgot that. You forgot that you had a new identity, that you were no longer defined by who you used to be, by who you once were, by where you came from, by who raised you. We could say it this way. When we're in Christ, we have a new identity, and now we're free from expectations. Go back to Dave and Wayne. Dave functioned under the weight of trying to find his identity because he hadn't been accepted yet. He wasn't sure where he stood. And so he had to put it all together to be accepted. He had to earn his way. He had to prove himself. He had to try harder. That's not what crucified with Christ means. But Wayne, on the other hand, had settled his identity. He knew that he had been accepted. It had happened in the past with abiding results. 
and it was accomplished by an outside agent, and it freed him to live life brilliantly out of underneath the weight of expectation. And that is what crucified with Christ means. Paul's phrase tells us this, that when we identify with Christ, when we put our identity into Jesus, we can live like Wayne. We can live free from expectations that come from trying to be right in God's eyes because Jesus has already made us right. There's a well-known story about Margaret Thatcher, and uh, for some of you younger types, Margaret Thatcher is just a, a famous politician in England, okay? And she was prime, prime minister of the United Kingdom, in fact, and she was visiting one day an old folks' home, and she's going from room to room, and she's meeting senior citizen after senior citizen who had lived there, and lots of people had lived there a long time. And one old lady showed when she went into her room, she showed no sign of recognizing who this world-famous politician was. And Margaret Thatcher realized this, and so she bent over to shake the lady's hand, and she said, do you know who I am? Oh, no, dear, replied the old lady. But if I were you, I would ask the nurse, because she usually knows. It's a very strange idea to most of us to relearn who we are. But it's a very necessary one for Christians. Constantly, we have to relearn who we are every morning, every day, that we might start from scratch and understand that we are not what we used to be. We are now in Jesus. When Paul pops up in front of Peter, he says, Peter, you've lost your memory. You've forgotten that Jesus is your identity. And the relearning process is that process that has to happen each and every day for those of us who are trying to follow Christ. Who am I? We need to ask, what defines me? That's a big deal in our culture right now. How are people defining themselves who are living around you? How are you defining yourself? Our culture defines itself by sexuality. Our culture chooses to define itself by gender. People in our culture define themselves by their culture, uh, by their politics, by their vocation, by their online persona, right? They define themselves by the people in their life and who they can rub shoulders with. Where are you finding your identity? That's the question. Some of you know the name uh, Ronda Rousey. She was dubbed the world's most dominant athlete, and she had quite a run. At one point, she was the first U.S. woman ever to win an Olympic medal in judo. She was the youngest woman ever to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, she did so when she was 14. She was consistently on the top of three ranked judo championships, uh, and she transitioned into mixed martial arts, and she quickly dominated there, became a world champion. Champion. She was 12-0 as an MMA fighter, and the only uh, fighter that ever came close uh, only survived the first round. Most of Ronda Rousey's challengers were defeated in less than a minute. Top of her game. And then in November 2015... Uh, some of you who follow that kind of uh, sport 
know that she lost. She lost bad. And in an interview shortly after that, she said, that night I was in my hotel room and I was thinking about killing myself because I said to myself, I'm nothing. What can I do anymore? I lost. No one cares about me anymore without my championship. She was struggling with her identity. Her whole identity was inseparable from her image as the most dominant female athlete in the world. And if she couldn't be that person, if she couldn't have that identity, then she was nothing. She considered herself unlovable. A similar thing called, uh, happened to the guy named Tiger Woods. We call him Tiger, right? And Tiger spent 264 weeks as the world number one uh, ranked person in golf. And because of some health issues, because of some setbacks, he experienced a significant drop in his ranking. And after his third back surgery and understanding that he would never climb probably to where he was, he had a real struggle with his identity. He told one reporter, there's nothing I can look forward to. I'm basically really good right now at playing video games. That's how I pass a lot of my time. You don't have to be famous or at the top of your game to struggle with identity. Every one of us, we do the same thing. In the last couple years, there have been over 20 major sites on the internet that cater exclusively for people sharing content with each other. And I'm talking about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and 17 others. There are, there are 20 major players in that game. And it's led to a spike in what psychologists call social comparison. And what we are doing is that we are estimating how worthwhile our life is, how valuable we are compared to what we see that's posted by other people. Social comparison. In a recent survey conducted by the Girl Scouts, nearly 74% of girls agreed that other girls tried to make themselves look cooler than they are on social networking sites. And if they think that other girls are the problem, guess what? They're probably doing the same thing. And it's not just high school girls, right? It's you and me. We do the same thing. We're comparing social comparison. Paul was in that boat. His identity was found in this. I'm zealous, righteous, religious for God. God, I'm doing everything for you. In fact, I will go and I will stamp out this Jesus thing. This little sect over here that's creating a bunch of stir and getting out of the things that you've called Jewish people to, I'm going to go and I'm going to stamp that out. I will live up to your expectations for me, God. I will do everything I have to do to meet your expectations. I will try harder. And as he was on the road to trying harder, he is hit with a bright light and there's three days of blindness and three days of dark. And along with his sight vanished his identity. 
That's all he had ever known. I'm trying to do the right thing for you, God. What now? What happens to us when life takes away our identity? And be assured, if your identity is not found in the right place, life will take it away from you. That's assured. And what then, tiger? Video games, I guess. Paul's word is this. I lost my identity. Life took it away. But the life giver gave me the only real lasting identity in return. <laughs> Underline that part of the sermon. <laughs> People who make Jesus Christ Lord are people who have been given a new identity, the, the, the one defined only by the Messiah who was crucified. And the minute I accept Christ's gifts, uh, and, and Romans 6 makes it really easy, the way you accept the gift of salvation is in baptism. And when we're baptized into Jesus, it's not the way we're saved, we're saved by grace, through faith, but we're saved in baptism, at baptism, that's the occasion for the saving. And when that happens, Jesus becomes us, and we become Jesus. When that event takes place, I'm in Christ, He is in me, and we have a new identity. And all of that part of the sermon was to get to this place. When my identity is found in Jesus, then I am treated as if I was the one who died like Christ died. And I'm treated as if I was the one who lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. And you get what you're looking for in every other identity that you've ever tried to create for yourself. Are you trying to be the super mom? <laughs> you want to be seen that way? Are you walking through life trying to be the boss who's the fun boss? Are you walking through life trying to be the person who everybody sees as the fit athlete? Are you walking through life trying to be the guy with the great hair? Are you walking through life trying to be the financial genius? Whatever persona you're trying to portray, what you're really after is somebody to look from the outside in and say, that's awesome. That's great. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's worthy. That's worthy of love. That's what you're really after. And don't you see that the very thing that you're after in all of those identities that you can create, the only way you truly get it is in Jesus. God gives that to you in Jesus. I identify with him, and when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's all he sees. Because he looks at me like he looks on his son. Do you remember in the New Testament what God said about his son, Jesus? There are a couple times that he speaks audibly in, during the lifetime of Jesus. One is at Jesus' baptism. The other is in, uh, that's Matthew chapter 3, and the other is in Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration. And both of those events, God looks down from heaven and there's an audible voice and he says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. 
And then he says at the transfiguration to everybody around, he says, listen to him. That's what God says about Jesus. Why does he say that? It's because Jesus did everything that God asked him to do, and he did it perfectly. Now, you and I, we try hard to do what God wants us to do, but we can never do it perfectly. But get this, when you become a Christian, you're united with Jesus, and God now looks at you in the same way that he looks at his son Jesus. It's impossible for him not to because Jesus is in you. You have been crucified with him. And verse 20 is God's view of us. When he looks at us, he sees Christ living there and nothing that I pretend to be. Some of you need to hear that today. And when you walk out of this place, I think all of us probably need to say it over and over. Crucified with Christ is not try harder. Crucified with Christ means my identity is now found in Jesus. Oh, and I'm going to be a lot of other things in my life. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a boss. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. But my primary foundation is in Jesus. That's the identity that I need. That's the identity that will never be taken away. Crucified with Christ isn't like living like Dave, trying to measure up, striving to be the best version so that God will accept me. Crucified with Christ is living like Wayne, I'm accepted already because I'm in Jesus. And that frees me from burden. And consequently, I become the best version of myself because I live in light of the Savior who loved me and gave his life for me. That's what Paul writes. And so the question today, are you living up to expectations? That's Dave. Or are you living into acceptance? That's Wayne. And the answer unveils what you're looking to for your identity. There's a church father. Some say it's St. Augustine. Some say it's St. Augustine. Either way you want to go, I usually say Augustine. There's a story about him. He lived in the third century or so. And let's just call him what he was before he found Jesus. He was a sexual addict. And after he found Jesus, obviously, he's a much different person. And one day, he's walking down the street, and an old girlfriend taps him on the shoulder and says, Oh, my goodness, Augustine, how are you? And he looks at her, and he says, he's very cordial. He says, fine, thank you very much. But then he quickly walked away. She was a little confused by this. She didn't see the slobbering man that she used to know. And so she thought, well, maybe he didn't recognize me. And so she tracked him down. She tapped him on the shoulder. She said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine's response as he looked her in the eye is this. Yes, but it is not I. How can Augustine change like that? What he's saying is, lady, I care for your friendship. Listen, listen, you mean a lot to me, and you're a good friend, but you're no longer my righteousness. You're no longer my identity. My identity has changed. I do not need your arms anymore. I'm not addicted to you anymore. And how is that kind of 
sexual change and sexual control possible? Was he saying, no, no, and slapping himself on the wrist over and over? No, that wasn't it. He changed who he was. He changed his identity by remembering where his true righteousness is. He remembered Paul's words, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Philip Yancey says this, the solution to sin is not to impose an ever stricter code of behavior. The solution to sin is to know God. Do you know him today? Where is your identity? Is it in something that you're trying to create so that when other people look at you, they see a person worthy of love? Or is your identity in Jesus? Which ironically gives you the very same thing. But the identity in Jesus can never be taken away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. for the identity that you give us. You never intended for us to find ourselves in our sexuality, in our culture, in our gender, in our vocations. Oh, those are all important issues. But if they are the primary thing that we use to define who we are, then we are asking those things to do something that they were never designed to do. Father, help us to find ourselves in Jesus. Help us to be crucified with him. And help us in dying with him to find more life than ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand, and this week uh, your task is to relearn who you are in Jesus. And as we sing, would you evaluate where your identity is? And would you choose, maybe for the first time, to be crucified with Christ? Oh, come to the altar.
leave these doors that um, you will find your identity in Christ. I want to uh, say specifically, uh, ask for your prayers for the Workman family. Um, Charles passed away in the last couple of days, and that funeral will be at the end of the week. And so be with John and Rosetta um, as they uh, go through that grieving process and, and continue to pray for them. Uh, the concert is Thursday night, and so we'd love a great representation here uh, and a lot of uh, money for hurricane relief, and that's, that's our goal. So we hope that you'll support that. Let me pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed today. Father, you are good to us. You have given us everything we need. May we go out these doors, and may we be crucified with you. May we remember that that's something that's already taken place for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. But it makes a tremendous difference in how we're going to take the next step. Help us to walk in line with the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and right now, right now I'm losing that. I stood on this stage night after night, reminding a broken it'll be all right. Right now, oh right now. Faith is all I have.